chance to listen <laughs> i hope you enjoy my cotter pike oh i actually listened to a little bit of it so oh, did you? yes i don't it may not have gotten as far as cotter pike but i can't wait for micah's cotter pike <laughs> <laughs> i just made him into a royal douchebag oh yeah <laughs> no 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 okay anyway give us a preview not yet maybe during the show stay tuned that'd be great or is it the show right now i, th- I think that we'll, we've already had an episode this week so I think grand, grandiose introductions, fine. This is the show. You're listening to Game of Bones. Hello. Hello. Welcome. The four of us at our most natural. Micah was just talking about the chapter readings for Patreon this week. Micah was Cotter yeah. Pike. Yep. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> How is your Samuel Tarley? I'm interested in that the most. You know, I, I didn't go with the uh, squeaky voice that normally I provide for sam because i feel like he's got a bit more confidence uh in this chapter that works right? uh, i made stannis uh you know the gritting teeth uh <laughs> I very love it. stern uh melisandre soft-spoken dennis mm-hmm. uh, malister a very kind of proper individual uh, and there was a, a bunch of others in there uh, that dollar said kind of got... yeah i made him kind of a jovial fun guy because i think that's who he is and eric you read the Tyrion Tyr- chapter. I did. I did. If it's if my voices were less diverse, uh, my Tyrion is me. My Jamie is a little bit more British me. My Varys is kind of, it's just a lighter, softer spoken me. <laughs> my Tywin is just the lowest voice I can do. <laughs> Muster. Muster with any regularity or like consistency, even though that scene was short. Um, <laughs> Eric, I just want to hear you read the line. Do it, you son of a poxy whore. Oh, okay. All right. This is um <laughs> We're gonna get a live this... preview. Come on, Please. are you frightened of a dwarf? <laughs> Do it, you son of a poxy whore. His voice had grown hoarse from disuse. <laughs> oh, I should have done a horse voice the entire time. Fuck, missed opportunity. Next time. Jamie says, Is that any way to speak about our lady mother? If you haven't gathered uh, our two chapters this week, yes. are Tyrion and Samwell. And we're at the very end of a storm of swords. The bitter, bitter end. I didn't think that we'd be able to draw a connection between these two chapters like usual because of the stark nature, like the difference. Tyrion's in Mm. the black cells, and obviously we know what happens once he leaves. And Samwell is dealing with the politics at the wall, deep into the politics, right? The royalty and all. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. But to me, the mindset of these two men the way that they, I feel like, broke from the normal patterns of their narrative, just were locked in the way that George wrote it. They were so focused, and they left so much of their emotions off the table, and they felt different, I think, for the first time. Maybe not for the absolute first time, but for the first time in a while, they were just so zeroed in and lasered focused. I, I wasn't sure what they were going to do. I agree, and that's and that's exactly where these characters connect. They are both balls to the wall going out and changing. So, something about them has changed. They're They're... They're becoming a different person in each of these chapters. For Tyrion, it's he's becoming a murderer. For Sam, he's becoming a liar. That's really strong distinction. Uh, I, I feel like you went pretty far in in one direction with both of these characters. I think they're <laughs> becoming more than murderers and liars. Well, yes, but for Sam, it's no less. I'm not trying to criticize by saying, "Oh, it's, you know, a liar is nothing compared to a murderer." I think that. Um, in the Sam chapter, he really does ch- change his his morality almost. He realizes the necessity of telling the white lie that he constructs to get these men to do what he he needs them to do, or what everybody, the realm, needs them to do. He's found a, a greater purpose, and for once he's embracing it, and I think it has something to do, of course, with the conversations he's had with Stannis and, mm-hmm. and Aemon. For Tyrion, it's really simultaneously acknowledging 
or still trying to get away, right? He's saving his life, but at the same time, he's becoming the monster sort of in a way that, that many people feared he was. And for, even though he's spent a lot of time defending his um, not being a kin slayer, on his way out, he cannot but help himself to his father's bedchamber. Um, and he kills not once, but twice. So it's it's kind of sad, you know? And again, this being the, the last Tyrion chapter... Um, you're left to wonder how different he will be in the future because he actually was not a murderer before. So, and, and it, it changes you, we're meant to believe. It's kind of like we've been saying about Arya. Yeah, I think with Tyrion, he's being forced to become something that none of us would have anticipated at the beginning of the book, and that is a murderer. But look at what he is being faced with uh mm -hmm. you know he has his brother come to visit him uh to free him to uh you know finally let him escape king's landing and yet in these tunnels he's confronted with a real harsh truth something uh you know we've talked about this uh in previous episodes where george r, r. martin is so good at weaving past story back into where we're currently at the little bit about Taisha is enough to, you know, make him just completely lose it, uh, mm -hmm. lose it in the sense of hitting his brother, lose it in the sense of admitting to something he didn't do and kill Joffrey, uh, you know, sending him up to the Tower of the Hand to kill Shay, to kill Tywin prior to escaping. So you know, it's a com complete and utter transformation of character here. Uh, for Tyrion, we, we've sort of been behind him for so long because we felt for him. Uh, and I don't think you can help but feel for him in this chapter because, you know, he's he's just going through so much. But to see him become something like this, like what everybody thinks he really is deep down, uh, that that's probably worse than uh, anything that he actually does. It is just to watch him go through this transformation. It was a rough thing to see, wasn't it? And the yeah. nature of how it sort of tumbled out it makes me wonder if jamie hadn't told him about taisha how this chapter could have played out how maybe things would have been differently would he have just slipped away quietly and and kind of pieced out or would it have would we have seen the same results i think i think it would have been sort of a peaceful slipping out and not because Tyrion wanted his father any less dead or anything but I, it wouldn't have occurred to him, you know? I mean, he's he basically, at the beginning of the chapter, he thinks he's about to be killed, perhaps not even in public. He thinks he might die in the cell that he's in. And when the door is, you know, when he hears motion and the door is about to open, he, he thinks he's sure that that's going to be his very last moment. To find out that that is not the case, that in fact he's being rescued, I think the mind first goes to, oh, my, my brother whom I love is is rescuing me, and also... This is great. I just need to follow the path that's laid out before me because this is a rescue plan. I don't need to do anything. I just need to escape. But, you know, I think the the talk with Jamie when he confesses the thing about Taisha reminds Tyrion in a very big way that he does, in fact, have unfinished business, um, yeah. which is, oh, yes, to get back at everybody for putting him on that miserable trial. But I, I think he totally would have just pieced out otherwise because even though he doesn't like his family and isn't happy with those circumstances, the priority up until that point was, in fact, not dying either then or on the morrow. I've been waiting for this chapter for a really long time. Yeah. And it's such a... It's the way that we leave Tyrion in this book. I'm scared now. I'm worried when it comes to the following books because I know that the narrative is pieced out in a way that isn't attractive to a lot of people who like to follow these sort of marquee characters mm -hmm. michael what you said really really hit home because he really is sort of becoming the person that he's fabled to be that the whispers these these rumors and it's very it's very dark the kind of moody passageway moments we have with Varys, they build this framework where we are inside of this sort of i don't want to say mythological place but the the targaryen imagery really builds up the history for us like we feel that it's old we learn of the different levels and what they mean and i i recommend you all to read this because it's very interesting learning about this is where the highborns were kept and they had flames that were able to be shown through the bar so the light was on top of them and i think of melisandre later on talking about the night fires on the wall and how it, it's what keeps the darkness and the gray other way. Mm -hmm. Whether whether it's 
explicitly connected. I'm not sure, but madness, and we explored this some with Davos, madness was brought on by the darkness in a way. And those very, very deep cells were actually engineered to make a man go mad. And this is where Tyrion is crossing. I feel like it was kind of a, a, a rite of passage for him almost to take Varys's hand and to be led by the spider through this underground tunnel. Almost across the river of sticks. It's, it, it's, it's strange because he reaches a point, and this is after the conversation with Jamie. We learned about Taisha, and we learned that he was actually married to this person. Whether she married him for gold or whether or not she was a whore, he learns the truth that she wasn't a whore, and it, it puts him into this kind of silent rage after he strikes Jamie. But I didn't see... I, I don't know. I, I felt... Like it was sort of sudden, and it goes back to what I said earlier in the the podcast. I didn't know he was going to make this decision to go up the ladder or to to climb the stairs and to 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 count such a high number and to sort of be slipping into I don't want to say madness, but just this very focused, malicious point of view. And inside of his mind, it didn't seem like the wrong decision, but he didn't give us the ins and outs of just how red his anger was it was just what he's going to do so we still inside of the mind of something that is i guess bad didn't quite feel it was bad even though it was very much two cold-blooded killings yeah just the sheer willpower it had to take him you know that talks the literal pain that he's going through climbing Mm -hmm. these stairs to get up there 200 and some odd rungs that he's climbing up Uh, it 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 is a, a tinge of madness and uh I couldn't help. I highlighted in the text you were talking before about you know, these levels that he's traveling through uh, with Varys as he's weaving his way, you know, beneath uh, King's Landing, and he's you know we're getting uh, a sense for the first time of how Varys is able to navigate, how mm-hmm. his little birds are able to spy upon everybody and know every little detail. Uh, I thought was was just a huge reveal. This this is how this man operates. Uh, but the fact that you know, as he's walking down one of these paths, it says an ornate brazier stood to one side, fashioned in the shape of a dragon's head. And it, it just dawned on me that the, the light at the end of his tunnel is the fire in the mouth of a dragon. And we know where he's going and, and who he's going to. And I just thought that couldn't have been put in there by accident. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's a great I that's a great thing to pick up on. I kind of read right past that. Well, it's easy to kind of slip around in this, but mm-hmm. it's it's great, especially when you spend as much time with with like that we have in these chapters. But even on rereads, it's great to just find a lot of this stuff. And just like the ending of our poster episode earlier in the week, we've heard a lot of really great feedback just on the sort of haunting reading. But I think more so, it just connects with people knowing that such a an impactful line was entered in the first book. And it has these huge implications on the the nature of, of the, I don't want to say magic, but just the nature of the ethereal in this entire story. Ferris says to Tyrion that we're proceeding in darkness because that that's kind of, there are things you don't want to see. What would he have seen? The way that this was built, the way that this was described. I was expecting things to reach out at them. Prisoners who were clearly mad, solitary. I mean, the way it's stated they don't even hear the sound of a, a human voice at all, ever, because nobody else goes down there. And the fact that, that Tyrion's being guided by Varys, but if he were to step away or step over, what what would he encounter? If there was a light on down there, what would he encounter? And it's just the, the idea that the imagination can think of things way worse than even George R. R. Martin, and that we don't get that answer. We don't know what the hell is down there, except to say that the people who go down there are never meant to come up. But who better to know all the intricate details of these different levels that were created by the Targaryens than a man who served the Targaryens prior to uh, what we're reading about him today. Uh, but the, the level you mentioned, the third level, the level of the Black Cells, where mm-hmm. we've had Tyrion held, and prior to that, Ned. Right. You know, two relatively honorable people uh, people who we've come to really like as characters, and Tyrion certainly has his faults uh, that may make some people look at him as being less than honorable. But I think, by and large, we've come to really like Tyrion as a character. We always enjoy reading his chapters. We know there's wit, there's humor that's a, that comes along with it. But you know, going back to the previous book, A Clash of Kings, you know, he's hand of the king. He's single-handedly saving King's Landing. Yeah, and yet. Here we are a book later, and he's trying to escape from King's Landing because he's being accused 
of killing Joffrey. Uh, so I know we talked about um, you know, two episodes ago, sort of the complete 180 that Jon Snow does uh, in, in the midst of a couple of chapters. But here Tyrion uh, you know, has really had this massive fall from grace. And if it, it wasn't for his brother coming to his rescue for what he refers to as a debt, that he owed him. And and again, like this is the character of Jamie completely changing, right? Because we talked about this in the past few chapters we've had with him, how he's starting to show a little bit more of the honorable side, how readers are starting to get behind him a little bit more. And, you know, there's that great moment at the end of the last chapter uh, where he's handing Oathkeeper over to Brienne. So if not for those moments, does Jamie even bother to mention the debt uh, that he owes to Tyrion. The fact that he's coming clean here, uh, perhaps maybe it's just because he doesn't know if he's ever going to see his brother again. It definitely foreshadows, I mean, to pick up on Jamie like this, the way we just left him, like you said, is, is a really strong thing to do because as if he didn't do enough to sort of shift our perspective, he's the one freeing Tyrion. And not only is he freeing Tyrion, but he's like, by the way, while I have you here, let me get this <laughs> off my chest because I just refused Cersei. I just gave Brienne Oathkeeper. I sent her to protect a Stark, for God's sakes. <laughs> I need to tell you the truth about something. You know? Like, this is Jamie literally just going a step further inside of not even... This isn't even his chapter, yet he strolls in, unlocks Tyrion's cell door, has a great conversation, leans in and kisses the guy. He hasn't seen Tyrion since Winterfell. I mean, this is a this is an wow. this is a huge deal, you know. Yeah. Like this is a big moment for these two guys. It's, it's almost a little selfish of Jamie, though. I feel like he's on this turning this new leaf high, and then <laughs> at the same time, it's, he's almost kicking Tyrion when he's already down. Because what good does telling Tyrion do for him at this point? <sighs> okay, That's it true. does it does clear his soul, the, or clear his conscience. But I, I think that um, even though his conscience is clear. The unfortunate result of Tyrion being, as you said, already so down is that he lies about having killed Joffrey. And I think that that is perhaps Tyrion's largest mistake in this chapter. It's debatable. It's debatable. But I mean, the fact that Jaime came out and and asked this question, and it's almost like I told the truth. So now you need to tell the truth. It was what he says. But the fact that Tyrion doesn't tell the truth. It obviously is telling the truth is a good thing, but now Jamie is in a position of not continuing to ask that question, not continuing to search for who was the killer of Joffrey. It puts Jamie in a really weak position because if he's even back here now, back with the King's Guard for King's Landing, he does not have the wariness that he should have about Joffrey's killer is still out there. If yeah, he really believes point. Tyrion, that it was Tyrion. And I don't know that he does, by the way. Yeah, I mean, he just turns his back. It's hard for right. us to judge. We so don't know far. for sure. But then there's that moment where Tyrion wants to say, ah, that was just, you know, that's not me. But then he doesn't. So it's like, how do you? Not only does he tell him that he killed Joffrey, which was stupid, but he also tells him about Cersei and Lancel and Osmond Kettleblack that I don't think Jamie knew what she was doing with them. Mm. I think that we knew as readers, but I don't know if she she knows, he knows what she's been up to, and so I think that that's a moment that blows Jamie's mind as well. Yeah, so he's still, I mean, he's dealing with a lot. That's sort of like he bit off more than he can chew, asking Tyrion for some honesty back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, I don't know. That's kind of a, a I, I feel bad for that exchange, and I, I'm worried if they do meet again, the imp and the cripple, as as Tyrion put it. I don't want to see them go against each other even if Jamie's down a sword hand I just I just don't like the idea of that I love their connection and I think it's great after all this time that this it happened in this way and that Jamie was the one to release him it just made so much sense for the story and you think about how much it's taken for our characters to come here and not only to be here and not only for Jamie to be taking Tyrion out of the cell but all that Tyrion's gone through to get there and all that Jamie's gone through to get there and what those collective fates mean meeting in this way just before Tyrion takes Varys's hand and by the quote of the book with each step he descended further into madness <laughs> darkness yeah it's uh it's one hell of a chapter at what point he says Jamie would not be afraid Tyrion says that oh. after after this exchange with 
with Jamie. I'm trying to find where it it's is. It's the darkness. The it's what it's when he's going to grab Varys's hand. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that even after that exchange between the two of them, Tyrion still kind of looks to Jamie as an example. An example of, of courage. I thought that was an interesting moment after after what they just been through. Well, it's, I don't think that I mean it's clear. I don't even think it's worth us speculating, but just the, like when Tyrion was like I wanted to yell out to him and tell him that I didn't really do it and maybe even grow a little bit closer and be like brother I haven't seen you in such a long time and I'm about to escape and be gone probably forever. Cersei's going to be looking for a dwarf with a scar on his face, a huge gap. It's not like he's not going she's not going to be able to find me, so this is going to be dangerous. Like he wanted he wanted to say something. But this is where his pride took over. This is it's sort of the same thing that got him in this position. And in in this mm-hmm. particular case it was how do I get Jamie back for what he did? Because right. what he did was bad. It was I mean the stuff with Taisha, I know that we haven't spoke about it that much because in the past I feel like it's been brought up a lot on our podcast. So it's hard for us to bring it up and sort of go through the impact of what the the, the whole Taisha situation ended up being. Mm-hmm. Even if she was a whore, it's terrible. But the fact that she wasn't, it's just, it adds insult to injury, and Tyrion cannot handle it. No. And and I think the the bigger piece to take out of all this is that a lot of his reputation is predicated on a lie. You know, so much has always been put on the fact that uh, he married this whore when he was very young, but in fact she wasn't a whore, and this was all masterfully put together by his father. Right. So in a way, his father has helped shape this reputation about him that he is this poor loving individual. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and maybe in a way, a lot of his action yeah. has been spurred by this yeah. over the course of his life. So mm-hmm. when he comes to this realization and realizes that his father is the one who's responsible for it. Yeah. And his father is the one that put these wheels into motion. Now, yeah, there's a lot of talk about the fact that she wasn't a whore, but she was a lowborn woman so it, it's just the same right that that's the line that's that, what they're uh, saying yeah it's that's not... what they're telling him it's like so there's really no difference she was just after you for your for your money and for your your lannister name so really there is no difference and and so but deep down Tyrion did have feelings for her and and but he was young yeah, he didn't he didn't know any better and then of course we learned that it was tywin's idea to basically have all these lannister men take her time and time and time again and let Tyrion watch and I think that's the final straw and and Jamie didn't know that that was going to be part of Tywin's plan but it really gives a sense of who Tywin is as an individual and just how sinister uh, of a person he is to do this to his own son yeah you look at the treatment of sons by their fathers in these two chapters we get a really great example of how they sort of have become the people they are in the face of that we have through Randall Tarley, Sam's sort of rise and how he's not seen as the person he could be, or he he even says himself in the next chapter, he's not the son that Randall even wanted. Wanted. And we have Tyrion, where his entire life was shaped already horribly by Joanna dying, and then him ending up being a twisted little imp that people in this world completely despise. And on top of that, he goes through the emotional damage of seeing this happen with Taisha at a young age. You can't, I mean, the dude, he spiraled. And you can't help but, yeah. yes, of course, your upbringing, like, through these huge formative years of your life. And I think that's, wow, that's there's so much there. And I think that's what George R. R. Martin is hitting on with Tyrion. And, and I guess when he, he he stops, like, he goes, hey, that means the hand's chamber is right up these stairs. And Varys <laughs> is like, yeah. And he's like, how many, how many stairs are they? I mean, he just, he knows that he's about to leave and he's going to take care of it. He, both of these sons begin to play the game at another level in these chapters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but Shay, once he gets up to the Tower of the Hand, is completely unexpected. But in his mind, what he has to be thinking is, here's another woman who he loved, who was branded a whore, and yet Tywin has taken her away yet again in a completely different way. She's lying in his bed. Right. So he has just been literally and figuratively screwed over time and again by his father, first with Taisha and what happened there, and now in a very similar situation with Shay. This stuff this stuff with Taisha, which was not in the adaptation in the show, kind of changes the storyline here for, for this character, for Tyrion, because there's this hope. With his dying, sorry, Tyrion's request of his father is the location 
of Taisha, we can kind of piece together that perhaps he will be seeking her out in the future because as sort of a, a, a return to purity or a return to innocence that knowing that Taisha is still alive, knowing that she was not a whore to begin with, which is the first time I had heard of that. There's this possibility, right? That he's going to want to find her because he's got nothing left. Can you imagine if, if, Tyrion goes and finds her and they just buy a nice little house in the country and just well, I mean that's down. the thing it's like you know they say that she just was after him for his money his money's something he would have willingly given to her he's a Lannister they're filthy rich like I believe they had a connection and I believe they had a connection that was genuine and if it weren't for the meddlings of his family it would have you know been allowed to be what it was instead of what you know was skewed and eventually ruined by the, all the meddling that Tyrion pays them back for. I, I have a question about Varys, though, before we get into the, the, the killing of Shay. Varys, in telling Tyrion how many rungs of the ladder to take the left corridor to, uh, you know, third bedchamber, all this stuff that he's saying while he's saying, oh, but my lord, you're too weak for such follies. There's no time. We must go. And, you you know, now you're throwing your life aside, this, that, the other thing. He still tells him what he needs to know. He knows that it's almost fruitless to argue with Tyrion at this point, or does he? And my question is, you know, or does he? To what extent can Varys determine what it is that Tyrion's going to do, and to what extent does he support it? Because I, I would probably think that he does support what Tyrion's going to do. Varys is vetting Tyrion for the future. This place where Tyrion is, I know, and he's kind of he's taken Shay there because Shay knew how to get up there. But even though Tyrion, when he was Hand of the King knew that Shay was being escorted through this secret passageway, maybe never even imagined just how deep it was, how this passageway, you can hear everything that's going on outside the room, in the room, in the bedchambers, at the hand of the king. And this is how Varys traveled, and I don't think Varys would have given up this information lightly. I mean, it's possible that he just knows that this is the last time either of them will probably be in King's Landing ever. But this secret has value. Like, Tyrion goes up in that crawl space and he's like, little birds, huh? Like, this passageway where people for countless centuries have been listening in on all of the intricacies of uh, the inner workings of the government and the royalty. And Tyrion is this is kind of a weird place for Tyrion to be in, in between here and his revenge. Yeah, one one thing, too, if you remember, though, is that, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, didn't Megar the Cruel have all the builders of... Makers hold fast, killed after they built it. That makes sense to me. So there, there's a lot going on here. You know, the Targaryens uh, are are very uh, smart, um, but also very cruel, and uh, in in how they treated the people who you know helped kind of construct these different parts of King's Landing. And so I just think that uh, Tyrion is a man who now. Uh, needs to find a new sense of purpose and you know you're you're asking earlier if Varys knows uh what it is that he's ultimately going to do i think he's subtly providing him with the information to do what he anticipates Tyrion uh, is going to do and that is to kill tywin uh, there's no other reason for Tyrion to go up there it, it is a massive risk yeah. that he even chooses to go into uh, the hand of the king's uh, residence, and and much less travel outside of that residence to go and find Tywin. So, uh, you know, he could have come across anybody at any given time, and that would have been the end of him. He does kind of hear when he's in that passageway, and he talks. He passes the guards who are talking yeah. about how he might die. <laughs> it's kind of what we've been saying. We said it a couple of weeks ago with Arya. Uh, and the hound outside with those people chatting about them we it's cool to have these opportunities to hear the perspective of randos talking about these characters that we like so much i think he's gonna be brave and face it like a lion yeah take his death with pride <laughs> yeah i just thought that was a cool moment as we that was gonna to... save him a crossbow oh man and then shape dies <laughs> <laughs> well and it's and it, there's a possibility right that shay that he would let her live. She she says what she should never have said. It's an it's clearly an accident, my giant of Lannister. It's the same line that she made him be so heavily ridiculed for at the at the trial. And we got this from Tyrion's perspective. The richness 
of the laughter of the entire room erupting when Shay confessed sort of their secret, their secret exchange. The fact that she sa- says it is, you know, and he, he, that's what sets him off. That's what makes him kill her. It's possible he was going to, but that's what sets it off. So you got to ask, could she have walked away from this? I think, I think that Shay absolutely could have walked away, but she didn't. She didn't. She didn't. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah. she well, made, that. you know, she, she, made the mistake of trying to be talk to him the way she talks to him when they're together and i don't really feel sad about it necessarily i don't know if we're supposed to feel sad about her dying he spares us the detail i mean george does yeah i mean it's kind of it's almost quiet the way she she just passes yeah twisting a chain though if you think about it that's a that's a tight tight. a very special chain too not just any chain but i think i think if she had apologized to Tyrion, i bet you he would have taken her with him He's. I mean, he he loves her. He he believes that this prostitute and him have a real relationship, and I think that the death of Shay is very. I think he would have taken him with her. Vague, like he he's just very s- sensitive about not quite showing. It says her her um his tears are beat away by her warm hands, and it's like she's fighting for her life, but ultimately it's his madness, and I I think that's actually what it is 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 we're being kept from seeing all of Tyrion's inner thoughts the entire time which would be grueling at this point. Do you really think that Tywin would have given him the option to take the black? It's a good question, but no, I don't I don't I don't think so at all. It was just well orchestrated in the moment. I mean, he had mm-hmm. to say something. He had a crossbow yeah. pointed at him for God's sakes. Yeah. Let's go back to my chamber where do? there's a poleaxe and a mace <laughs> while he was <laughs> sitting on the privy. Yeah. And uh this entire exchange, I mean, I know that it was very calm and it was after a very auspicious build up and very mysterious and riddled with history and you know, you know you've been a part of this conversation you've read the chapter you're reading along with us you know but to, to to reach it here in such a humble way to just walk upon tywin after killing shay after all the history you've had with shay since meeting her in the first book we're here it's resolution it, it, was, it was and it was quick there wasn't a lot of conversation he asked mm-hmm. to know about taisha he got a very quick answer tywin was just like his son there was just two very stubborn very prideful individuals going at each other in that moment. Tyrion wanted an answer. Tywin refused to be anything other than himself. Crossbow. Even as he's in about to die, Tywin still, I think it's interesting, he still 100% believes that he's in control of the situation. I feel like it doesn't even cross his mind that Tyrion will actually pull the trigger on him. I think that he, he still thinks he has the upper hand and that he's going to come out on top even when he's sitting there with a bow pointed at his face i thought that was very tywin of him it's all very cathartic in a way i think it was eric earlier who compared it to the underworld right the, the no river sticks yeah uh it, this whole experience uh if you can call it that is Tyrion's really getting resolution and and cleansing himself in a way of, of things that have really defined him uh in in the past he's paying and his I, debts right <laughs> yes yes to chiron <laughs> and, and so uh, but but i think it allows him to move on now right he mm-hmm. has a whole new life that is in front of him even though there's still debts that need to be paid uh, he says as much to to jamie uh, he obviously takes care of the debt that he owes to tywin uh, but also to Cersei. Uh, everything that he is going through with his family is not just going to leave him as he departs King's Landing. But I think he has been able to bring some of it uh, to a conclusion. Absolutely. I think that you're right. And I think that just plays into what we've been saying for the last couple of weeks. And what's so great about the end of this book is that we are getting answers to a lot of questions that we haven't had answers to. And everything's kind of set up for this next part in the series and i think i yep i don't everyone's know how to wrap on a that boat. <laughs> part two yeah. getting everyone's on getting boat. on a boat Tyrion's getting on a boat gendry's still rowing <laughs> gendry yep this last line though might be my favorite in all of a song of ice and fire it, it's definitely my favorite lord yeah. tywin lannister did not in the end shit gold i read it twice on the recording because i was just like this is a good ass line i'm gonna do it again (laughs) yeah it might be mine it might be my favorite in in the whole series i mean but it's like this is to me even though it's not italicized this is like Tyrion's inner monologue when he's walking away right it's just like ah so we didn't shit gold after all it would have been awesome if they had found a way to write that into uh 
Tyrion's lines in the show. Maybe like a I narrator know. speaks for the first time. Long time and <laughs> shit goes. Where's James Earl Jones when you need him? <laughs> or Morgan Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Or Varys when he's getting onto the ship could have. Oh yeah. That's interesting. I bet uh, that was probably play, played around with a little bit. But just for a second, imagine this: if if you were reading for the first time in the last three chapters, you've had Stannis arrive at the Wall. Offer John to become Lord of Winterfell. <laughs> and now you've had Tyrion uh, learn about his past with Tysha, escape King's Landing, kill Shay, kill Tywin. Uh, forget it. Just forget you're, it. You're, you know, you get to experience how Varys goes about his daily duties and responsibilities by shifting around through the tunnels underneath King's Landing. It's just, <laughs> this is why this was the best fucking book yeah. out of yeah. all of yeah. them. I, I couldn't down. stop reading if I would have, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I've heard people like to say, "Oh, this is like a few months to read these books." But no, I if 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 our readings weren't being halted, like if we hadn't have done this podcast, the you know the moment I would watch the first episode of Game of Thrones, I feel like all these books would have just been decimated in a week. You know, it just would have been it would have been release night level status where you give like seven hour <laughs> block at midnight and then sleep for half an hour and then keep going because it's, it's yeah. literally that compelling. It is that compelling, but how much would have been lost? Being able to drag these out in such the in the best way of discussion, like discussing everything that reaches us, I love this experience. The crazy thing is, though, there's still three more chapters plus an epilogue, and more people aren't going to make it out. <laughs> so bring it. That's what I say. Yeah, I'm excited. And there's still one more chapter on this episode. That is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the king was angry. Sam saw that at once. So perceptive. Uh, oh shit. Oh shit. <laughs> Fewer. It's funny going from King's Landing. To the wall and having the king be the first, you know, the king was angry. It's like, how does he know that? He's at the fucking wall. Because he's talking about Stannis. Stannis waits for no one. He wants a lord commander and he wants it now. And the last time we were with Stannis, he was standing on top of the wall. It was pretty badass. (laughs) Overlooking his foe and what would be to come next. And we learned through this just excellent. He's got sort of some of the top names right now. He's figuring out this situation. He's he's throwing all of the shade at Geno Slint. And I feel like, guys, I know that we had <laughs> so a very strong connection with him in the last episode. I mean, the, the episode was called King Stannis, all right? Yep. So there's yeah, that. For no reason. Mm-hmm. I'm, st- I'm still into Stannis in this chapter. Yeah, I don't think it. it's over. That's yeah, what I'm saying. So, and so it's, it's exactly. like, batter up Stannis again right out of the park. He's looking at Janice Slint, and he's like, come on, man. You're a piece of shit. Get that's real. A- <laughs> Spare me your fawning, Janus. Yeah. I mean, how. He will not serve you. How can our Stannis love fest not continue when the first person he takes down is this guy that we hate? Yeah. And he's literally putting plans to populate the Night's Watch again. Not just the Night's Watch, and not even particularly the Night's Watch, but to, to garrison and to actually fortify the wall, which is the cool. I mean, think about it. Of all the different keeps and places and military strategics. How cool would it be to get the wall back in working order again? I mean, true it's the glory. Coolest shit ever. He wants to make his seat, his seat as a king, the night fort. It's got a passage of a tree, a magical tree blocks that's it so and Stannis. opens. Can, you know can what I be I mean? the first to say, that's so Stannis? <laughs> so right? thank you, Stannis. Thank you for thank having you for it together. Uh, thank you for talking about all this mythical, wonderful things. He gets it, though. That. That's what I think so many other characters uh, don't at this point. They're so absorbed into their own personal uh, events and, and their family's events. But I think he really sees the larger picture here. And, and maybe that's because of Melisandre. But uh, you know, just in terms of, of fortifying the wall, uh, as you mentioned, it, it, he knows what lies on the other side. And he knows that in order to protect the rest of the realm from what that is, he's going to need every possible helping hand that he can get. And I think he wants – well, actually, no, he doesn't care who the Lord Commander is. I think he makes that very clear. Yeah. Uh, you know, he said the cook would even be better than Jenna Slint. Which, <laughs> I mean, Love Janice it. had a rough, rough, rough day. Uh, yeah. and, and he wouldn't dare speak back to Stannis. But uh, I had a lot of fun reading this chapter uh, for Patreon. I'll just say that because, <laughs> I, 
how can you not like Stannis just a little bit reading this chapter? I mean, he, a lot just, of it. he just brings it. I, I don't know how you can leave this book without rooting for Stannis completely and utterly. Like, he's just that cool. In this chapter alone, he's just that cool. And I love that he has, again, not only Stannis, but the fact that he's traveling with Melisandre, who, listen to how I'm speaking, ladies and gentlemen, is this not like the second episode ever that I've spoken about here in a good light? But he's got this sort of queenly presence, this kind of magical hand, this kind of, you know, just a companion traveling with him. It's almost like out of a story. It is a story, but you think about this as reality or whatever. It's almost out of a story how she's just sitting there, you know, not wearing furs, radiating heat herself, unlike Lightbringer. And she's saying stuff like she's just telling them about the whites and telling them about the great other and how they're the differences between the beings and talking about how the night fires actually make a difference. And like she's she's giving wisdom. She's telling Aemon Targaryen right to his face that this is his high. He's the one that was prophesized. And she's boldly <laughs> saying, I'm an instrument of the Lord of Light. I'm an instrument of a god among you right now while stannis sits next to her very uncomfortable <laughs> at the fact that she's the shuffle of the feet touting him mm-hmm. i what gave it away i think this conversation about stannis being azor high is interesting especially as we have been talking about john and the poster and whether or not he's you know the prince that was promised or not but i think that she like we were saying last week she has a decent track record on getting stuff done but i feel like there's just no way that it's stannis and we see this moment later with the sword when Eamon is asking Sam to describe if the heat is radiating off of it. <laughs> because the heat because if there's heat coming off of it, then that means that it's actually Lightbringer, right? And so I just think it's interesting that she is so set on him being Azor High. If we trust Maester Eamon, I think maybe we, we were meant not to be sure up to some degree, but after Stannis has done so much, maybe our faith was restored in him. And especially the way that Melisandre was kind of floating about how this all just kind of seemed like, all right, well, this would be the root of Azor High, right? Even better that the prince that was promised happens to have some kind of claim to the throne and happens to be able to command an army. Well, like, right. this, is, this is perfect. This is working out well. But just the simple question of Aemon to Sam as they walk back to the Maester's Tower, um... Did you notice the heat coming off of his hand? He's like, Yeah, was his holster really? scorched? Was his holster scorched? No. And he's like, Yeah. I don't know about it. like just that alone. <laughs> my mind has changed. Yeah, same. Yeah. The just the interaction between him and Eamon when um you know he says, I know who you are, basically. And I, I think it's meant to uh throw Eamon off a little bit, but just the the intuition of somebody who can't see yet his uh you know his wisdom and his ability to determine whether or not something is in fact true mm. uh you know the fact that he doesn't need his own vision to be able to do that uh, he's able to sort of use sam uh as sort of his his vehicle his means of being able to determine whether or not stannis is in fact azora high and and i agree with both of you i i think that uh we trust uh in in maester Eamon and we trust in his knowledge the fact that he's been around for over a hundred years, uh, you know, it's he probably has seen uh, a few things in his day and and has learned a few things, and I think that uh, we're meant to be, you know, as we wrap up a storm of swords, thinking that Stannis isn't all that he's cracked up to be. He's very, you know, powerful and he's very influential, uh, certainly by his actions and the way that he interacts with members of the Night's Watch here in this chapter, but. As far as if he is going to be the one, I think you're left with serious doubts. He's got a glowy sword, but not a fire sword. <laughs> you know, it's it's not quite, right? It's half the way. And Melisandre, for for one, bless her, is, is probably, I wonder if she knows that part of the legend. It should be giving off heat. I think she does. She's she's got it. There's no way she doesn't. Yeah, she's probably choosing to ignore that that portion of it right now, you know, because she doesn't, she hasn't. I guess she's met John, but there's not time for that yet. Right? No, Sam gets a little bit uncomfortable as well earlier on in the chapter when she's looking at him and he wants her to stop. And, uh, <laughs> I wonder what that was all about, to be honest with you. But uh, just kind of looking at how Stannis interacts with the different members of the Night's Watch, he clearly 
has no uh, love loss for Jenna Slint, and I know we touched on that, and yet he's willing, if he must, uh, to accept somebody the likes of Janos mm-hmm. uh, as Lord Commander. But we know that there are other options. We know that really the front runners, in addition to Janus, are uh, Cotter Pike and Sir Dennis Malister. Right. Uh, and Sam is looking to find a way to have these two front runners uh, really have their votes put towards somebody else. And you know he goes and has a conversation uh, with Maester Eamon uh, about how it would be possible to shift the decision in favor of John. I mean, we know who, who he's thinking of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Maester Eamon says that, you know, he, it, it wouldn't be right for <laughs> the Maester <laughs> of the Castle Black to intervene in such affairs. And wink, Sam wink. gets the idea, well, I could. <laughs> yeah. I? And it was, it was really like that tender moment between uh, between Sam and Maester Eamon where he's basically giving him the nod to go ahead and to do this. And, and, and I think this is just a moment that not just Maester Eamon, but all of us have been waiting for Sam to, you know, to, to just, yeah, like, come on, man. He has that moment uh, at the end of the chapter where he realized, well, shit, what's going to happen to me? What what could they possibly do to me that, that's going to be that bad? Send me to the wall? <laughs> yeah, fuck, I'm already here. Like, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it's such a great chapter for his, you know, his his maturation, his character development. Yeah, he's already parlayed with cold hands. Right. Sam's been through it, and he goes through it in this chapter. That sort of exchange where they both don't even outright, and we don't outright even know that he means it to be Jon Snow until, uh, until a conversation later, as he's mm-hmm. bouncing back and forth between a man of Eastwatch by the sea and a man of the Shadow Tower. It's almost too perfect. We kind of have these heads of the beasts when it comes to the Night's Watch, and neither of them really want it. And that was fascinating, sort of seasoned in their own way. And I I love Mm -hmm. these conversations and I absolutely recommend. I mean, I feel like it's almost ridiculous when we say that. But for you listening to read it, but some of you still listen. Maybe I'll stop saying that. But I'm just saying, please read it because they're really uh, interesting exchanges because these are these are decent guys. And you got to think that it didn't just come out of left field. I feel like in the show, maybe it was a little abrupt, the John stuff. And I think it definitely was and just kind of happened mid-season. But here... You can see how this very unlikely thing of Jon Snow to get elected after Sam is working the way he's working and sort of using Maester Eamon as his, not his, it's like, we trust, I'll, I'll take an audience with you, Sam, and I'll listen with what you have to say, because you just got done being counseled by Maester Eamon, and right. they're taking him at his word that this is basically what Maester Eamon told him to say. Exactly, and that's why this whole ruse works is both Dennis Malister and Cotter Pike are like under the impression that Maester Eamon wants to actively change the outcome or affect the outcome of this vote because he's just like, why the hell wouldn't he? He's the oldest person here. He's the wisest person here. Of course he wants to weigh in. Meanwhile, he doesn't, but also Sam just, they know they both know that he came from him. So they're just like, okay, I accept this. And Sam doesn't need to say anything else except that he just, he came from Meister Eamon and they both assume that Meister Eamon is crooked or leaning rather on, uh, on the votes. I thought it was interesting how different these two leaders or possible leaders are. You know, we've got Cotter Pike, who is a fighter, really, and Dennis Malister, who's more of a politician. And I thought the difference between the two of them and who would be best for the wall is an interesting thought. And the way he had to speak to them differently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Trying to appease yeah. both of them. You think Malister has the belly to stand up <laughs> yeah. to Stannis Baratheon? There's Cotter Pike. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> I cannot wait for that chapter. And Sam's after his conversation with Melisandre and Stannis where he, he sort of hangs back and she's like, ooh, Sam the Slayer. Sam the Slayer. <laughs> and he's like, he's blushing because, you know, the Melisandre is saying this to him and, and uh-huh. you get this great, and this is a more more awesome gratitude from Stannis. He's saying like, you're, I know your father, he's the one that really had this victory. Mace Tyrell, I know, gets the, the trimmings from it, but just like Stannis knows of all the politics here at the Wall, kind of uh, unbeknownst to us and we get it kind of revealed to us it's like of course he studied he was the brother of the king of course Stannis knows these things and of course he knows even more and of course he's going to give Sam a little bit of respect maybe even a lot of bit of respect he's the guy who slayed a white after all 
And we learn of the store of dragon glass beneath Dragonstone. Hell yes. Seems like a great time to become a miner. There's going to be quite a demand <laughs> really soon. No, it Sir sucks Rollins to be a miner in Westeros. <laughs> but I just hearkened back in, in terms of connecting the two chapters. And I forget who mentioned this, but just the fact that both Sam and Tyrion are really not the sons that they would expect of you know, Randall Tarly and, and Tywin Lannister. And that's just such an overbearing theme throughout the course of these two chapters, right? In terms of what Ty- uh, Tyrion does and then, of course, what Sam is able to muster up the courage to do uh, at the very end of this chapter, basically throwing the vote in favor of John to become Lord Commander. Right out from under us. Yeah, Something had to happen, right? <laughs> it's just like you need two-thirds of the vote. And Cotter and Dennis were not going to give it up for each other. Uh, if we don't make a decision tonight, he's going to pick the other guy. If we don't I make it tonight, it. he's going to pick the other guy. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, I don't want him to be picked. <laughs> I, yeah, well, that's so brilliant. The, the, the admission by both men under slightly different circumstances that they don't want it. That they, not, neither of them really wants. You know, at least Dennis Malister, at least Dennis Malister has stood aside even in the past. There's precedent. He's like, ah, you know, I was kind of asked, but I was like, ah, there's there's another candidate. This time, these two men from different towers along the wall are just in it so that the other person doesn't have it. Sam is up to no good. Trying to rig an election. John's going to be mad. John's going to be <laughs> yeah. off. Nobody told him about this. Yes. Nobody told John. This, yeah, I haven't um, thought about that yet. He's going to be like, what? As if he doesn't already have enough problems. He's so modest. And not only is John going to be pissed, I think Stannis is going to be pissed because he wanted John to be Lord of Winterfell, not yeah. Lord Commander. Imagine how much John would blush if he knew there was a huge... Huge billboard of him in Times Square right now. <laughs> People would say he I'm was kissed by fire. That's how red he would blush. Owns. Who's got him? Owns. Who's got him? Who doesn't have him? So my own for the Tyrion chapter is Tyrion himself. Uh, when nice. he is telling Varys to wait for him, he says, Varys, the only thing I value less than my life just now is yours. <laughs> Great yeah. moment. I will give my own also to Tyrion for committing double homicide during his escape. It's hard enough to escape from the capital of Westeros, but to take down the hand of the king, basically the king, and a past lover, that was uh, that's some drama right there, Tyrion. I will uh, also give my own to Tyrion. Oh, fuck off. Of course. <laughs> uh, and it's following the line where Tywin says, you are no son of mine. Tyrion says, now that's where you're wrong, father. Why, I believe I'm your writ small. Do me a kindness now and die quickly. I have a ship to catch. Yep. <laughs> Eric, what's it going to be? I got a couple of them, neither of which, none of which are Tyrion. But Tyrion, Tyrion gets my honorary on. Um, I'm going to give my own to either the fourth level of cells, <laughs> Magor, uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, that darkness, man. Like I'm saying, like your imagination can think of things that are even worse than what's probably down there. But uh, the fact that we didn't get to see it at all and yet walked through it is pretty unworthy. And then, uh, so that's split. The other own goes to, to Baelish. Uh, because Lord Baelish uh, got rid of Sansa so discreetly that Varys at least is not forthcoming about knowing anything about what what became of her after she was seen on the stairwell. So for all of his tricks, which become a little bit deconstructed here in this chapter as Tyrion climbs the ladder and goes behind the walls, Baelish still managed to outwit Lord Varys. Excellent. Sam? My own for the Sam chapter, I I wanted to give it to Stannis, but I held off. And I'm going to give it to Maester Aemon for when he says, uh, he's talking to Sam, he says, it's, it is hard to be so old, he sighed as he settled onto this cushion, and harder still to be so blind. I miss the sun and books. I miss books most of all. Aww. Egg. Yeah, I'm I'm also giving my own to Eamon, Detective Eamon, Dick Eamon, for asking the follow-up question about the heat coming off of the sword. It's just he's still working things out. He knows more than he's telling. And for bringing, and for calling Melisandre out on the Battle for the Dawn. I kind of want to give my own to Micah for his Cotter Pike reading. Yeah. 
I'll take it. <laughs> that's truly inspired. You know, you know, it takes a special kind of flair to 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 get that spirit out of Micah. But when you get it, oh boy, is it pungent. But I'm just gonna give it to uh to the one true king, Stannis Baratheon, for hell yeah. Uh, Taking care of business north of the wall. Well, in the north. Well, in that case, I'll give my own to Cotter Pike. And <laughs> 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 he's talking about Dennis Malister. And um, Sam says, he's old, but he's well experienced. And Cotter Pike says, at sitting in his tower and fussing over maps, maybe. What does he plan to do? Write letters to the whites? He's a knight well and good, but he's not a fighter, and I don't give a kettle of piss who he unhorsed in some fool's tourney 50 years ago. The half-hand fought all his battles. Even an old blind man should see that. I don't know There's what happened. Where, where am there I? There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Who are we? Where are we? What are we doing? There's not a person, I don't think, that Cotter Pike did not insult in this chapter. Good luck following up that. All right, back to my normal voice. So we heard from a number of <laughs> listeners over on Twitter who sent in their owns, the first from the one and only Gary Manis. Gary. His Tyrion own says, uh, Tyrion owned the spider in one simple remark, Varys. The only thing I value less than my life just now is yours. <laughs> Hashtag no songs for spiders. What about Itsy Bitsy Spider? Itsy mm-hmm. Bitsy. Oh, yeah, there it is. I think the spider dies. No doubt, spider well. <laughs> <laughs> Leave Sorry, a message. Sorry, Tyrion's in. not right home right now. Yeah. He's walking in the spider. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> own to Sam for proving you don't have to be raised in King's Landing to pull a quick one on some very proud individuals. Hashtag Tyrion would be proud. He would be. Two parts of Rye says Tywin should have owned a higher fiber di- diet. <laughs> that much time on the privy is not a good sign. <laughs> he knew where he'd be. Uh-huh. And then he also says uh, for a change, book Sam owned TV Sam. The Craven played two commanders of the watch, even if it was in a puddle of his own making. Ouch. That was a hell of a hashtag, too, that two parts <laughs> Rye used at the end of the uh, Tyrion owned. Because it's Saturday Night Live. Colon blow. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> So much he needs some prunes. fiber. Simon Admonson says, I arrived here at King's Hand, riding at the head of my own sworn men, and I leave like a rat in the dark, holding hands with a spider. So low. We heard from Manu, at Manuclear Bomb on Twitter, who said, Simple, obvious one for the best chapter finish. Lord Tywin Lannister did not, in the end, <laughs> shit gold. Drops Mike. <laughs> at Game Over Ra's reply to him, all that was missing was Horatio Kane putting on his sunglasses. <laughs> uh, for all you CSI Miami fans out there. And for those of you who are not, Jen Calhoun writes, owned it Jamie for at least showing Tyrion some brotherly love before tearing his world apart. Hashtag less of a dick than you could have been. <laughs> and we've reached the part in this episode where Hannah has to leave for a flight. I'm really sorry. Bye, Hannah. Bye. Bye. This is a very ceremonious goodbye. <laughs> On to the next Owens because the show stops for no one. Yes. Brienne of Tarth. Always good to hear from her. Tyrion Antiode goes to Tywin for paving the way for one of the most annoying refrains of all time. Where do whores go? <laughs> Very true. We will find that out as we continue to read the series. Uh, Sam Owen goes to Stannis for cutting through Slint's bullshit and to Aemon for seeing what Lightbringer isn't. David Sheethelm <laughs> replying to Watchers on the Wall. Think of him every time I go to number... Think, think of him every time I go number two. I think he means Tywin. Yes. <laughs> oh, great. Now I'm going to try not to do that. And uh, Jen Calhoun on Twitter. Owned to the Raven that ate small Paul's face for being the inspiration to make Sam less craven. <laughs> you go, face Raven. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Vivid for a dandy on Twitter. Tyrion Owen goes to Tywin, who is so self-confident he keeps talking smack, even with his pants down and a crossbow. Aimed at him. Strong man, Tywin Lannister. She also says, Samon goes to Stannis' seeing right through Janos's bullshit. Do not trifle with me, my lord. Yeah. Don't mess with Stannis. Simon Double Dipping also uh, reached out to us on Facebook. He says, Stannis Baratheon has hijacked the awesomeness at the end of this book. Thrashing Janos, name-dropping the ancient enemy like he has known about them all his life, <laughs> making the night fort his seat, and taking a keen interest in Aemon, Sam, Obsidian, and the Black Gate. I don't care if Lightbringer does not give off heat. Quote, the singers may do as they like. Small council member Simon has just owned it. Wiping the floor. We heard from Henry Khalifi, owned to Stannis for seeing through Slint and telling Sam that the others are the only enemy that matters. Hashtag grinding intensifies. And the Lady Ash, owned to Jamie, bros before 
sister owes. Okay. And Lady Ash slow clap own to Sam. He is a key player in this game, and he doesn't even know it yet. And his voice is music to my ear holes. Mine as well, Lady Ash. Mine three. Me too. Joseph Wayne. Joe Thweets. There's some other handle like that. Own to Taisha for being yet another innocent whose life was destroyed by Tywin Lannister, the worst man in Westeros. Former. Oh. And from Heathen, burn. Own goes to Lancel and Osmond Kettleblack and Mo- <laughs> Moonboy for all I know. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done, Heathen. Very well done. And uh, over on Facebook, Reese Palazzolo, my own for Tyrion's last chapter in A Storm of Swords is to Tyrion for the seeds of doubt he plants with the line, Cersei is a lying whore. She's been fucking Lancel and Osmond Kettleblack and probably Moonboy for all I know. Honorable mention goes to Tywin Lannister, who as Tyrion found out does not in fact shit gold like the japes say. And own to, for the Samwell chapter goes to Cotter Pike. Oh boy, here please, we go again. Please. Here we go. Here we go. For his comment about Janna Slit. A toad grows wings and thinks he's a bloody dragon. <laughs> that was a bit of Hagrid thrown into it. A little bit of a Hagrid. Keeper of keys and grows. My own, this is an email. From our good friend. From our great friend. My own for Tyrion goes to Jamie and his newfound sense of honor and purpose. Jamie has always known the truth, but never felt the need to say anything until he started thinking of himself as a decent man. The sad reality is that if he had done the decent thing years ago, when the events happened, his brother would have had a completely different view on himself and women. In the end, the person responsible for the whole mess is the one who ultimately pays the price for it, unusual, in the Seven Kingdoms. Hmm. His own for the Samwell chapter goes to Maester Aemon for knowing the prophecy on which all of Melisandre's beliefs are based, but doubting that she is correct about Stannis being a Zora High reborn. It seemed to me that he has some serious doubts about Lightbringer being real or a Thoros of Mir style parlor trick. Nick Hartley does not so. Nick Hartley does not so. No, he does not. (laughs) That was a uh, good amount of owns for these two chapters as we uh, are just that much closer now to the end of A Storm of Swords. I believe we have a John chapter, a Sansa chapter, and then an epilogue to get through. That means two more episodes. So it does. two more opportunities for you to get an own in in this read-through of A Storm of Swords. I feel like this is, this is a moment in time for fans of the series. We're creating this podcast alongside the books. This has been a very long journey, and if you are a listener and haven't yet gotten involved... Now's the time to do so. Absolutely. There are a number of ways that uh, you can do so, much like uh, the listeners did on this episode. You can tweet your owns at us at Game of Owns. You can scrawl upon our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash Game of Owns or shoot us an email like uh, our good friend Nick Hartley did. Who does not so? No, he does not. And he lets us know it every time he emails us at contact at Game of It's a nice, badass signature to have. Are you jealous? I'm very jealous. I look forward to Nick Hartley coming to one of our live events and just screaming that at us. (laughs) You've heard several times on this week's episode about how fun it is for us to be working on the bonus content that goes over to all of our patrons on Patreon. And I assure you that it is just as fun to be listening to them and experiencing them. For those of you who are in a sworn sword tier, you will be listening to Micah do the voice of Cotter Pike. You'll be listening to me doing my own voice that's supposed to be Jamie's. Um, you know, and, and, and any and any of us, Hannah read the last two chapters, Zach reads uh, all the other ones too. All of us doing these voices, interpreting these characters, reading for ourselves, experiencing the chapters in a much more oral way are just one of the many, many things that we do as a thank you for those who are supporting us. This show is ad-free through your support on patreon.com slash Q. It will remain ad-free. Yes, we will not uh, plaster you with ads like the billboards in Times Square do. (laughs) Whether you want to see Jon Snow alive again or not. It's been a blast uh, doing this for over 300 episodes now, and we can't wait, uh, you know, talking about that Jon Snow poster to see what lies ahead, both in the books and on the television show. We are also very thankful for these next two chapters to find out what happens at the wall in John's perspective and to visit Sansa for one final time in A Storm of Swords. But before we leave you, a few final thoughts 
from Micah J. Tannenbaum. You, you won't support him then, said Sam, dismayed. Are you Sam the Slayer or Deaf Dick? No, I won't support him. <laughs> <laughs>